good morning again. So many years ago, I was a young adults pastor, and I took a, a young adults leadership team on a retreat. And we went camping in the Chilliwack River Valley, and then we went rafting with the Chilliwack Rafting Company. And um, how many of you guys have been river rafting? Okay, so not a ton. That's all right, though. It was a, it was a rainy, miserable time for camping, um, but it set us up for a really good time rafting because the rafting company that we're going with had two possible routes, the normal route and the advanced route. But the advanced route was only open when the water was in between a certain level. If it was too low, it was too dangerous. And if it was too high, it was too dangerous. It had to be in the sweet spot. It had to be in the Goldilocks zone. And uh, because it had been raining just the perfect amount for just the perfect number of days, we got the option to do either the kind of easier route or the harder one. And I had been rafting with this company several times. Um, it was actually where we had my bachelor party. And uh, I'd led some other groups and we'd done this same kind of trip. And so I may have, I may, and I'd never done the advanced route. It had never been open. So I may have pushed a little bit. I maintain to this day that it didn't take much pushing for the young adults team to be like, yeah, let's do the harder route. This sounds awesome. So we went on the advanced trip, and we're having a blast. And if you've never been river rafting, um, Everybody except the guide is up is all along the sides of the raft. The guide's in the middle at the back, and you've got paddles. And your job is to listen to the guide's instructions. So he's going to say, you know, paddle left, and everyone on the left side of the raft starts paddling, or paddle right, or paddle hard, or back paddle, or everybody in the raft, right, because you're about to hit something. He doesn't want anyone to fall out. So he tells you all to jump into the middle. Or he can, he can steer with your body weight, so he can tell everybody to get to one side of the raft or the other. Um, and you've got these instructions that you've practiced early in the trip so that when you get to the rapids, you know what's going on and you're able to quickly obey. And I don't mind saying that our raft was nailing it. We, as far as the trip was up to us, as far as our obedience had anything to do with the success of our trip, we were doing really well, which you could not say for all of our rafts. And <laughs> because we were doing really well, we were in the front not, not that they put the best group in the front, but you tend to get through everything faster when you're listening to your guide. Because a lot of river rafting has to do with setup. It's, once you're in the rapids, you have a lot less control. It's mostly about how you hit them. Did you hit them in the right spot in the river, pointing in the right direction, this kind of stuff. And if you do, you have a nice, fun, smooth ride through the rapids. And if you don't, you start bouncing around, which is what they try to avoid. So we're doing great, and we come up to this um, next set of rapids, and we're having fun, and it's a good time. And as far as we could tell, we had hit the, rap the rapids perfectly. Our, our guide had been really pleased. He'd praised us. We're, we're heading into these things, and it's good. And all of a sudden, our guide starts shouting rapid-fire instructions, and not like casual instructions either. Like he's yelling at us. He's like, paddle hard, harder. And we're in, I don't know, again, if you've never been rafting, when you're in the rapids, half the time you paddle, you just hit air because your, your raft is doing this kind of stuff, right? But he's yelling at us and we're, we're doing all, we're following his instructions and wondering what in the world is going on because this is the first set of rapids where we've had to do anything like this. 
And, and our God is clearly like very serious, more serious than we've seen him um, this whole trip. And as we're doing our best to follow his instructions and he's yelling us, all of a sudden, wham, we ran the front end of the raft straight into this rock, like, and hard. He had had us paddling as hard as we could go. The front end of a raft goes up on top of the rock, and he yells, everyone front. So we all pile, dog pile onto the front of the raft, and I'm on the front of the raft, so I'm at the bottom of the dog pile. And, um, and, and we're up there, and we started kind of sorting ourselves out a little bit, the six of us who were piled at the front of the raft. And as we were sorting ourselves out, we realized a few things, or I realized a few things. Um, first of all, by piling us all at the front, we had anchored our raft to the rock. So all of us, all of our weight is on top of this rock that we had rammed into. And we're holding there, and the back end of our raft is getting just rocked around by the currents. And our guide is standing at the back of the raft, facing away from us, facing backwards, and he's throwing the rope bag out into the middle of the river. And the rope bag goes out into the middle of the rapids in between all these rocks, and his hand pops up and grabs the rope bag. And then we're watching our guide like he's bracing, but I can't do it because I'd fall over, but he's bracing both feet on the front of the raft and pulling, and you can see his muscles straining as he pulls one of the other teammates from our group out of the rapids. Now, None of us knew this, but what had happened, and somehow our guide had seen this, is that one of the other rafts, the second raft, had not entered the rapids well, and they had hit one of the first rocks broadside, so their raft is lengthwise, and one of the guys at the front had fallen off into the rapids while the raft stayed stuck on the rock. So the only way this guy was getting out is if we got him out, because we're the only raft in front. And what had happened, without knowing it, is that we had been a part of a cascade of actions with one purpose, to pull that man out of the water, to rescue him from danger. A series of good things, a cascade of goodness to counteract the cascade of badness that he had been a part of. As you think about what their raft had done, they had failed to listen to their instructors, their guide's instructions, which had caused them to enter the rapids poorly, which had caused them to hit a rock the wrong way, which had caused a guy to fall out and get sent down the river. And you need all of those things to happen for it to be bad. You fall out and it's not in the rapids, no problem. You hit a rock at the beginning and no one falls out, no problem, right? Like it took all of that at once to create this situation. And you got that cascade of bad actions. And then it took all of the good actions that none of us had any idea, all that paddling and moving around and ramming into the rock and everything else to put a stop to it. I want you to have this kind of thinking in mind around this cascade of good and bad actions as we head into the scriptures today. Because what we're talking about today is a cascade of grace. We're going to be in the same passage we've been in for the last two weeks, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And if you have your Bibles, if you've got your phones and you like to look at it there, you can pull them out and you can stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. And we do this every Sunday because the reading of the Word is the best thing you're going to hear from me. It also allows us to be a part of this reading together. So starting in verse, do we have verse 1 or just 14 to 18? Awesome, perfect. All right, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. We've been spending a few weeks in this passage. We started by talking about God's desire to dwell among us. And then last week we talked about glory. And as we talked about glory, I, I highlighted that phrase, full of grace and truth. And what we talked about was how this is a translation from the Exodus passage where God reveals his nature to Moses and tells him that he is a God who is full, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And abounding becomes full and steadfast love becomes grace and faithfulness becomes truth. We talked about how that translation works. And as John introduces that idea in verse 14, he's talking about the glory of God, full of grace and truth. He doesn't leave it there. You get to verse 16, and he keeps going. Out of his fullness, out of the fullness of Jesus Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. Other translations read, we have received grace in place of grace already given. And then he clarifies, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. This is what I want you to think about with that cascade, that cascade of good actions. This is the story that John is tying into here, a story of rushing rivers of grace, grace upon grace, pouring out in abundance and fullness in Christ. And this is the story from the very beginning. A lot of people, unfortunately, have the kind of impression that in the New Testament, we have grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. But if you turn to the Old Testament, you have wrath and judgment and vengeance and anger and all of these kind of things. And it's not true. Um, there is a place for the wrath of God in the story because wrath is part of love. If you're not mad at the things that hurt the people that you love, there's something wrong, right? If something hurts someone you care about, that should bother you. There's a lot wrong in the world that should bother us. But both the Old and the New Testament, while they contain instances of the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and that's both the Old and the New Testament, 
are at their core stories of grace upon grace. Which is why John doesn't say, in his fullness we have received grace instead of something else. Grace instead of judgment. Grace instead of wrath. Grace instead of vengeance. Grace instead of justice. is not that. All of those things are subcategories of the bigger story of grace. And when Jesus comes, we receive grace upon grace already given. The cascade continues in Jesus and, in fact, reaches its climax, reaches the high point, reaches the fullness of grace given. If you go back to the beginning, you go back to creation, it's the story of grace. It's the story of the steadfast love of God uh, overflowing. And out of the overflowing, abundant, steadfast love and grace of God, he speaks creation into being, cascading day upon day, day one through day six, and into day seven, where God settles into the temple of his creation and declares it all very good. You continue through Genesis and on into Exodus, and you see the ongoing grace of God presented in a new situation. Because in Genesis chapter three, a new cascade is introduced, the cascade of sin and death and evil, and darkness. But God doesn't let that be the only part of the story. Just as that river guide didn't let that be the only part of the story that we were in on that trip. God steps in. And that's what the whole stories of of Abraham and his descendants and, and really reaching that climax in Exodus is about. Where God steps in to rescue and to save. Exodus is the story of God seeking out his people, God stepping in to save them, God redeeming them from the culture of slavery and training them up in the way of righteousness, God reconciling them to himself, and God stepping in as king over his people. All of the scriptures are that story, the story of that overwhelming, abundant fullness of steadfast love and grace. And what we see in that is God coming to us, God seeking us out, God doing what he has to do to lift us up. It's this story that Jesus steps into, not to radically change it, not to give grace in place of something else, but to continue and fulfill it, to give grace upon grace already given. When John says in verse 17, the law indeed, was given through Moses, what he's saying is this too was a gift of grace. Grace upon grace already given. The grace already given is the law. It's a part of the redemption story of Israel. Paul, in some of his letters, will compare the law to a caretaker set over a child to to aid the child as that child grows. The law is not the child. The law is not the parent, but the law has a clear and good purpose, and it is a gracious, though incomplete, gift. And this is purposeful. It's not a story of God trying one thing, and that didn't work, so God tries another thing, and that didn't work, so finally God comes himself, right? It's a story of progression, and of learning, and of teaching. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth. And remember that those words are a quotation of God's own self-revelation to Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus. Not because the law isn't about grace and truth, but because the law can't embody them. The law is a word spoken. Jesus is the word become flesh. 
And so in, in him, we have the fullness of grace and truth instead of the beginnings of grace and truth. In Jesus, Yahweh himself becomes flesh. And the time of the stewardship of the law, the caretaking of the law, comes to an end. And now God himself steps in to continue raising up his people to maturity. And he steps in in the same way that he always has. I'm going to say this in a lot of different ways. The story doesn't change here. It continues, full of grace and truth. And so the story of Christmas and the whole story of Jesus' life is still the story of God seeking out his people, God stepping in to save them, God redeeming his people from a life of slavery and training them up in the way of righteousness, God reconciling his people to himself, and God, in the person of Jesus Christ, stepping in to be king over his people. All the way through the scriptures, we are presented with a God-initiated story full of God's steadfast, covenant, gracious love for us. That's the story. That's the story of Christmas. That's the whole story of Jesus' life. And it fits together with what we've been talking about. We've seen his glory because from the fullness of his grace and truth, we have received grace that replaces grace already given. We receive the grace of the incarnation, of the word made flesh, of the glory of the Son tabernacling with us, which is a fulfillment of the earlier promissory revelation. All the revelations in the Old Testament find their fulfillment, find their climax, their high point in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the once and for all sacrifice that is foreshadowed in the whole sacrificial system. And in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of our sins once and for all. He is the once and for all defeat of darkness and evil that was foreshadowed in the Exodus journey. And in him, our chains are broken and we are set free from all that enslaves, free to know and worship and serve Yahweh. Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God, foreshadowed in the pillar of smoke and fire, the fire on the mountain and the presence in the tabernacle. In him, we see the true heart, the full goodness, the real mercy, the deep justice of God, and we are invited to join in. He is God with us, foreshadowed in the tabernacle and in the temple. And in him, we receive the Holy Spirit, God himself who comes to dwell in us, the new temple of God, to train us in righteousness, to empower us for goodness, and equip us to live in God's glory in the midst of a messy and difficult world that regularly trends in the opposite direction, right? If God is coming with a cascade of goodness and grace, we live in a world that, that cascades the other way, to failure, to evil, to death, to sin, to darkness. We all experience that. Christmas is one of those times where you feel that mix perhaps more than any other because we're reminded of the amazing good things we have to celebrate, but also of the really difficult things we have to mourn or be angry about. In Jesus, we truly receive grace upon grace already given. He is the fullness of God's steadfast covenant love and faithfulness. He is God himself. Jesus is the king of all. And in him, we are invited to have a personal relationship with a personal God of all the universe, which is a weird thing to say. And sometimes if you're in church too long, 
flies by you without you stopping to think about that, that the God of all the universe wants a personal relationship with each one of us. But he does. And again, that's the story of Advent. If we will invite him into our lives, what we find is that we have stepped into a cascade of grace, a rushing mighty river of love that carries us into the presence of God and from there out into the world. And I do want to make that invitation this morning. If you are here now and you are not a part of the cascade of God's grace in the world, you can be. It begins by receiving the forgiveness that he offers to all who will come to him. By coming to him and admitting, confessing your sin, and asking for that forgiveness. That's all it takes, because he's paid the price. There's nothing we have to do to fix it, or make it up, or earn it. We just accept it. Accept the grace of God. Believe. So you got the ABCs. Accept, believe, commit. Accept the grace of God, which comes through admitting you're a sinner and confessing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, that he is King of all, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was raised from the dead in victory, and that he reigns on high now and forever. And then commit. Give your allegiance to him. Commit to following him. Not perfectly. None of us get it perfectly. But one step at a time to live with him as Lord of your life. And when you do those things, when you walk those ABCs, you enter into the cascade of grace that began before God said, let there be light, that reaches its high point in the person of Jesus, and that continues today in the mission of the church. And know that if you have done that, or if you're going to do that this morning, that when you do that, you do join in the ongoing cascade of grace. That's the invitation, to be a part of the, the good things that God is doing in the world. You go back to that picture of a rushing river or being in the raft. You don't jump into a river and the river stops, right? Like, oh, here I am, and it just ends. Right? You don't get in that, you could get in the raft and, and just sit there and do nothing, but then you won't be a part of the cascade of goodness, will you? You'll just be wait in the boat. Um, no, you're, you jump in and you join, right? You jump in the river and it sweeps you away. You get in that raft and you follow those instructions. And you may be here this morning and, and you, don't, you haven't experienced that. And that could be because, to use the analogy of the river, you've just dipped your toes in the edge and it's nice, and it's cool, and it's good, but the river is rushing by out there, and you need to go all the way in. Could be because you're sitting in the raft, not actually doing any of the things that the guide says, right? Because being a part of this is going to primarily be about following Jesus. That is, obeying what he says. Learning who he is, following in his path, hearing his commands, and living them out. Again, not perfectly. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to miss things. Five years from now, you're going to learn something. You're going to be like, why haven't I known this for so long? I've been living in disobedience to that for forever. That's okay, because the grace of God isn't dependent upon our obedience. And, and the journey is always about maturing. Right? You come as you are, and then you walk the journey, and you grow into who God has called you to be. So you're invited into this. 
This is a part of what it means to respond to the person of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege that in a world that regularly cascades towards evil and darkness and sin and death, we get to be people who move in the opposite direction. Know, though, that that's often a fight. It's not a quick and easy journey that you're being invited into. The world is not small. (laughs) It's not like there's a little itty-bitty world out there that goes in the opposite direction, but there's a whole whack load of us who are going in the direction of goodness. No, it's the other way around, right? And not just in terms of people, in terms of forces in this world as well. When you think about those four words that I've been using, sin and darkness and evil and death, there's one of them that very plainly we understand how the opposite overwhelms, and that's light and darkness, right? So if you think about this, we are called to be people who are life and light and goodness, what am I, and righteousness, opposite of sin. So light instead of darkness, life instead of death, goodness instead of evil, righteousness instead of sin. When you talk about light and darkness, it's really easy to see how light always wins. You turn the light on, the light's on. The dark, there's no fight, right? And I've, I've used this before. Like If you turn the light on and there's darkness over there and it's slowly shriveling up, and like pushing back against the light, like that would be really, really creepy. Um, but that's not how it happens, right? The light always wins. As soon as there's light, there's not darkness. End of story. It's a lot harder to see that, though, when you're talking about evil and sin and death. Because it often looks like evil is overcoming good, and death is overcoming life, and sin is overcoming righteousness. Day to day, we see that, and it's not easy to look at that. Jesus has promised us that that's not the story, though. And he, in so many ways in his life, lived to show us differently, to calm the storm, to raise the dead, to touch the leprous person, and instead of becoming infected with disease, to pass on his cleanliness and heal the person who is leprous, to show us that in him, it's actually the other way around. Life wins. Light wins. Righteousness wins. And life wins. We start the story in Advent. We end the story in the resurrection of Jesus. And the great proclamation over the resurrection is that because Jesus has been raised, the first fruits from the dead, death is now defeated. And it's not defeated because none of us experience it anymore. It's defeated because now it's just a turn of the page instead of the end of the book. Now it's just a transition. And it's a transition into something better. Think about that. In Jesus, death itself becomes a part of the cascade of goodness. It's incredible. And we get to be a part of that day in and day out. But most of the time, we're a lot like we were in that raft. We don't see the full picture. We don't see the full story. It wasn't until that hand popped out of the river that it all fell into place. And we knew why the guide had been giving us all these strange instructions and having us do all these strange things. Sometimes, God gives us a glimpse of where he's taking us. Most of the time, 
he asks us to take the next step. And so that's the life that we're called into, the life of obedience and trust. Trusting that by following Jesus as our guide, as our Lord and as our Savior, it's for good in ways beyond what we can imagine. And I can say from my own experience that the few times God has let me see this, it has been like that. I can also say from my own experience that it's really hard when I can't see it. Because I like to understand. And I like to know where we're going. And I like to know what the plan is. I, I bother my wife sometimes about this. We are packing this morning because we are heading out to visit my parents for Christmas after the service this morning. And I'm going, okay, what's the plan? What's done? What's not done? She's like, calm down. I haven't even had my tea yet. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> right? Because I'm that kind of person. And that makes it hard when God says, do this. And I say, why? And then I hear nothing. <laughs> right? But you know what we didn't have any time to do in that raft? Ask why. By the time you've asked why, it's too late. Now, that's not often true in our life. And my experience of God's guidance is that he is incredibly gracious. And the harder the thing is he's asking me to do, the more time and the more confirmation he's willing to give me. So the choice, and you've heard this story before, the choice to leave our last pastoral position without having any idea of where God was taking us, that was incredibly hard. But God gave us a year of lead-up time before that decision was actually enacted. I think he knew. He knew how hard that was going to be for me because he's so good. So this morning... If you're not or have not been a part of the cascade of the grace of Jesus Christ, then my call to you is to change that. There is a better river running through this world, and you can be a part of it with Jesus. And if you want to do that this morning, you can do that on your own. You can do that with the people you came with, or you can come and talk to any of us who are up here, and that would be awesome if you did. Because we would love to pray with you and continue to walk with you. It's not a journey any of us do alone. If this morning you're already a part of the life of Jesus, then the call to you is to live in deeper obedience. Because that's how we become a part of the cascade of goodness. And if this morning you're there and you're saying, okay, but what does that mean? What you need to do this is dangerous. What you need to do is ask God to show you what the next step is. And when you're reading his word and you come across something and it says you should do this, do it. When you say that prayer and you immediately think of the person you need to forgive or the peace offering you need to make or the place you need to ask for forgiveness or the hard thing, did I do that? Sorry. Yeah, or the hard thing <laughs> that you know God wants you to do, do it. Because it's always just one step at a time. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your cascade of grace. I thank you for grace upon grace, abundantly, in fullness. I thank you for that journey that has begun in creation and that we get to be a part of that. And I pray that we would. I pray that you would give us the strength to obey quickly and the willingness as well. That when we want to ask why, 
that you would be gracious, gracious and help us, but that we would also be obedient and follow. I pray that we would occasionally be able to see, to lift up our eyes and see that hand coming up out of the water and know that the things that you have been leading us in have been really good. We trust that, Lord, but I pray for the opportunity every once in a while to see that. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here this morning who either hasn't been walking with you in this way or who has just dipped their toes in the edge. Lead us deeper into you, Lord God. Draw us into your salvation, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.